Hey, Pastor Justin here, and I want to welcome you to our verse-by-verse teaching through God's Word. We hope and pray that this is a huge resource to you, and it helps you grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and the Bible. Also, want to encourage you, if this is your only place where you're being fed, go and be a part of the local church. We love being a part of your life, but it's no substitute for being a part and serving in the local church. Also, if this has blessed you, we would love to hear about it. There's an email that's listed below, and if you send us an email and just tell us how God's Word has changed your life, it would bless us tremendously. Also, would you pray and consider maybe helping us continue this ministry and getting God's Word all over the world? You can do that by going to newheightsohio.com and click on the Giving tab. Anything helps, and we appreciate it. God bless. Good morning. Wow, you're a good-looking bunch. Most of you. <laughs> Most of you. The rest of you just keep doing the best you can with what you got. <laughs> My wife tells me, and I wish she was here, little four foot 11 spitfire of a blonde. She's been hanging with me now for almost 47 years. I know. Is she? We're, we're having trouble with this mic. Let's just rebuke it in the name of Jesus, okay? <laughs> Is it because I was holding it right here? I got to hold it right here. Hello, <laughs> monster truck rally. <laughs> You'll figure it out real quick. I love to have fun in church. Nothing worse than a boring missionary. Nothing. Put your kids to sleep, put you to sleep, and then you have to stay awake when your football team loses on Sunday afternoon. You don't have a reason to go to sleep. We are so glad to be a part of this great church. As Pastor explained, uh, I was pastoring up in Dayton, Ohio, and your, one of your former pastors, Brother Hugh Rosenberg, was a mentor of mine, a very good friend of our family. Is In fact, I used to call him Uncle Hugh in the day, and uh, I was still pastoring at that church north of Dayton, and at 5.30 in the morning. Now, I don't go to work at 5.30 in the morning. No one sane does, <laughs> but I did that morning because I was watching the kids. My wife was studying for her nursing exams, and I wanted to make sure that I could get there. And get so at 5.30, the telephone rings, and I thought, might be an emergency. I picked it up, and he says, Rosenberg here. <laughs> I need you in service tonight. I said, well, Pastor, I have a church. <laughs> I have a service I have to do tonight. He says, give it to a deacon. Get yourself down here. And uh, so, <laughs> and he told me, he says, you're a good man. You're there at 5.30 in the morning. Well, I, I, I pulled the wool over his eyes. Well, I got here, and can, they had Dwayne Jones speaking. How many of you remember Dwayne Jones? Great missionary man of God. And Dwayne was here doing his stuff, and, and uh, I got to come up on the platform with my wife and my two little kids at the time, who are now plus 40. And uh, this church put your arms around us and believed in us when we had not done a thing. We'd never been anywhere, never done anything. I'd never even been in a foreign country, unless you count Canada and Kentucky as foreign countries. Never had. When my church went on mission trips, we went to inner city Cleveland. You ever been to inner city Cleveland? <laughs> it makes El Salvador and Manila makes it look pretty rough, pretty, pretty sane. But you put your arms around us and you've helped us and you've encouraged us. You've financed us for the last 31 years. And I want you to give yourselves a hand for doing that. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Justin and Miss Liz, wherever she's at. I don't see her. Is she here? Okay. She's out with the kids. All right. So down with the kids. Not out with the kids. Yeah. <laughs> Parents, if you just had a heart flutter there, it's okay. It's all right. 
Father, thank you for our time together this morning. I am very much aware of the fact that we have a limited opportunity to accomplish a big deal, to accomplish a big task. I can't stand on a platform like this representing some 3,000 missionaries just in the Assemblies of God alone, but besides that, our brothers and sisters among the Mennonites, the Baptists, the Methodists, the, the Christian Missionary Alliance, other ones who are going around this world sharing about Jesus Christ. And I have the privilege, but also the responsibility to stand here on their behalf and report to the church that awesome things are happening. God is moving by his spirit across this globe. And it starts right here with our kingdom builders at New Heights Church. So Father, I pray once again, we do not take your presence for granted. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to walk among these aisles today. Touch our hearts, touch our minds, increase our faith, God, that we might accomplish this great task that we sang about earlier that everyone, everywhere, in every language would know who Jesus Christ is. So help us today, Lord, as we tell just a portion of the story and then we take the commitments of your faithful people today. I pray that, sir, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm, I'm just about convinced I'm going to have to leave the iPhone behind. When you, when you get plus 60, you can't see it anymore. You get a longer arm or a bigger screen. Missions is just such an incredible part of who we are in the Assemblies of God. Whether you're new to this church or you've been here for 150 years, I know the church hadn't existed, it's a, it's a little hyperbole there, but if you've been here forever and you know everything about missions, probably more than I do, or you're brand new to this church and you don't have a clue, I want both ends of that spectrum to feel good about what happens in this room this morning. Not just for the sake of pleasing you to make you feel good, but I want understanding to dawn on our hearts that we have a unique privilege on this planet to join partners, join our hands, partnership with the Lord God and minister to those who have never heard before. Now I know, yeah, give, give yourselves a hand because you're gonna need it in a minute. As you saw on this screen, my wife and I, Michelle, have been have been working with Fire Bible now. We're in our 11th year. I never thought they'd keep me a year or two because when they asked me to come and lead Life Publishers International, a very storied uh, ministry of the Assemblies of God going back almost 80 years to its inception, they asked me to come and do it. And I said, I don't know anything about printing. I don't know anything about translation. I don't know a thing about distribution. So why do you want me? <laughs> they said, we need someone who can, can lead and we'll get other smart people to do those parts of the job. So I've been fooling them for 11 years, leading this great ministry around the world. The Fire Bible became very, very dear to me as I was ministering out of Southeast Asia. As Pastor mentioned, we started in Laos and then we eventually went to Bangkok, Thailand, some city of between 14 to 17 million, depends on if the schools are in session or not. And uh, we went there and served a length of time. But as I traveled those five countries of Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, uh, Thailand, Myanmar, and I saw hundreds of leaders, but I saw thousands and millions, 231 million people who needed to understand Jesus Christ and what he is and for them in their lives and realized that there was an enormous task that was impossible for me to accomplish. I could not do it. I literally could not reach it. In the small nation of Laos, the smallest nation of all of those five, 6.5 million people at the last census, 
they have 153 different languages in one country. 153 distinct dialects and languages in one country. Vietnam has nearly 200. Cambodia, another 89. You start adding that up and you can very quickly get to 400 to 500 different language groups that need to hear about Jesus Christ. It became evident to me that what he had asked us to do was impossible unless something else began to take place. We quickly moved into, it's not about us and about what we can do, about what, what we can share individually as Americans that are resourced and sent out, but it's about what those disciples can do that we raise up on those fields. And so it very quickly moved away from being about us to being about them. And I started to look through their eyes and I started to say, what do they need? What do they have to have? What do they need to understand? so that they can do the job to reach this country, to reach these people, to reach these people groups. It struck me as we led our very first convert to the Lord, a lady by the name of Som John Kompilavong. If you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, say her name three times and you're almost there. <laughs> Som John Kompilavong, a dear friend of our family. She became my language teacher in northern Laos. And, and uh, I, can, I can never forget the first day she said, I'm not going to teach you. And I said, why not? She said, you're too stupid. <laughs> I said, wow. <laughs> I got another member of family. Didn't even know I had him here. But she began to teach us, and after a while, I, don't, I won't tell the whole story this morning for sake of time, but Som John gave her heart and life to Christ in a, a miracle experience. Nobody there, all by herself. She told me the story that, that after we had had our last conversation, I got the left foot of fellowship from the government, was kicked out of the country, lost my visa. It was a communist country. They didn't like us being there in the first place. And, and after we left... She said, I went back to my house and I cleaned my house and I tidied up my altar. Pastors seen many altars in Southeast Asia. They have the joss sticks and the flowers and, and an orange and a can of Sprite or a can of tiger beer. Depends on, on what form of Buddhism you're a part of. But they have all, she said, I tidied up my altar and I swept my floor and I put on my best clothing. I thought, wow, that's neat. I've been to her house. She had a dirt floor. How do you sweep a dirt floor? I don't know. But she did. She said, I got as, as beautiful as I could, and I laid myself down on my floor, face down, and I said, the God that Jeffrey and Michelle serves, I'm talking to you, <laughs> and I want to confess my sins, and I want to confess the sins of my parents and my ancestors, everything that I could have done or should have done and didn't, I confess all that to you, and if you are willing and if you speak my language, please come and live in my heart. Isn't that a great prayer? <laughs> All by yourself. God still does those kind of things. I went back several months later and, and, and was talking to her, and I rejoiced at that testimony and that salvation experience. And she said, oh, Jeffrey, we need a church in this city. We've never had a Christian church ever in the history of the country in this city. I said, well, I, they won't even let me live here. How in the world am I going to how am I going to help you start a church? She said, well, I know I can't be a pastor because I'm a woman. I don't know where she got that at. I didn't say it, and the Bible doesn't say it, but she got it somewhere, and she said, but I will make you a deal. If you get me the materials that I can read, I promise you I will study, and I will pour my life into it, and I will teach the people every day, and I will pray for them, and I will visit them, and I will go to their homes, and I will ask the Holy Spirit to save their souls, but I can't be a pastor. <laughs> I said, well, okay, it's a pretty good deal. <laughs> and so I went back and tried to start resourcing the materials that were available to her, 
in her language, and they were extremely, extremely limited. Fast forward with me some 20 years later. This is where God has a sense of humor and a sense of economy of scale that we don't understand. I never would have left my home, never would have left my family, never would have gone to Laos to get one person saved. To me, that just did not make sense. It didn't, didn't seem to be a good use of my talent and, and my experience and the finance. It just didn't work out. But the one lady that got saved in that town 20 years later, as we dedicated the fire Bible in the Laotian dialect, and we, we put it across the desk and gave it to these Lao pastors from all across that country, guess who the editor-in-chief of that Lao fire Bible was? <laughs> she was saved for a purpose that all might know, that all might understand in their own heart language. You say, Jeff, I've got 10 Bibles. I'll give nine of them to you, and you just take them with you and give them out. How many of you understand that if you can't speak the language that that Bible's in, it's a doorstop? See, Jeff, don't talk about the Word of God that way. The Word of God is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. This book that we have is an explanation or a retelling of the Word of God. But if you don't understand the words, it won't change your life. It won't grip you. It won't move you. Let me give you a brief illustration. Amen? Amen? Stop me if you've heard this story, okay? เดี๋ยวว่าลัทธิบาลที่ไม่ค่อยได้เลยข้าพระเยซูคริสต์ติดตัวอยู่ที่ไม้กางแขนสารสะโวกลองจะเข้าตายจังเลยข้าพลุก
God illustrated this to me one time years ago. It's a very simple illustration. It's one of my favorite stories. I was walking through the marketplace in northern Laos, and I'd been there for about three months, just long enough to hate the place. Have you ever been, ever been in a place like that? They had two seasons a year, dusty and muddy. <laughs> and then it was a little one that tweaked in there for about three weeks, and it was fly season. That's when every fly on the planet hatched all at once, and boom, there you are. I'm walking through that marketplace, and there was probably a 1,000 people in there, and they're just jabbering, jabbering as they got uh, Thai, uh, they got uh, Thai Dom, Thai Dang, Mong Kao, Mong Sikiao. They got Lao Lum, Lao Sung, Lao Tung, Pasa Vietnam. They had all kinds of these different languages in there. But they're all furtively looking at me as I'm walking through the marketplace. I felt different. The average full-grown Lao man is about 4'11 to 5 foot weighs about 125 to 135 pounds. And here I came, six foot two, 350 pounds in those days with a big black beard. <laughs> and I had on my BC glasses. Anyone in the service remember what the BC glasses are? <laughs> you know, we used to call them our birth control glasses. You're so ugly, you never have to worry about having kids. If that's above your pay grade, just, just chew on it. You'll get it later. I'm walking through and I see pictures of myself back in those days and I, I look and I says, man, I look angry. I look, I, I would run for me. <laughs> I look so different, so weird compared to everyone else. I'm walking through that marketplace and they're all jabbering and, and, and you get the feeling that they're all talking about you. You ever been there before? <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird thing. So I created my own dialogue that was happening. I said, I know what they're saying. They're saying, look at him, how tall and regal and handsome he looks. He's like the elephant as he treads through the jungle cane breaks in his majesty and his girth. What they were really saying <laughs> when I found out how to speak their language was, look how fat that guy is. Have you ever seen anything that big in your whole life? How much does it cost to feed him? I'll bet, his, I'll bet he doesn't let his wife and kids eat until he's full. Stuff like that just comes through their minds and through their mouths. And, and so the question isn't, am I paranoid? It's, am I paranoid enough? They were all talking about me. I was weird. I was different. I was strange. But it got their attention that I was there. Why is he here? Why is he living in our city? What does he have to share that the government doesn't want us to hear? Curiosity began to bubble in that place. And I'm walking through the marketplace and a little 80-plus-year-old grandma who'd spent her entire life in the rice fields. Now, you think you have a tough life. Spend 80-plus years in the rice fields, planting rice day after day, year after year, your whole life until you're bent over and ancient from it. You've never left house. You've never left home. You've never left the province. You've never gone anywhere, never seen a TV, never seen an iPhone, never used a telephone. She's walking through the marketplace, and she hears the jabbering going on around her, and she tries to, she had osteoporosis, as I recall, all bent over, and, but she looked up and looked up, and she, she, her eyes caught my eyes. <laughs> I'll never forget what she said. <laughs> I, probably, I know it's not a religious term, but most of you understand. I freaked her out. She got a hold of herself, and, and uh, she started to smile, and, and it caught my attention because she was chewing betel nut, which in an Asian context, they begin to chew that when their teeth go bad. It, it helps their gums. It's a mild narcotic, but it turns your gums black. It turns your tongue black, and your tongue begins to swell and crack, and she opened her mouth and smiled. She had one tooth on the top and one tooth on the bottom, and that black tongue sticking out, and she wiped it out and said, If it's possible, can I ask the big guy a question? And my translator, a young Buddhist fellow by the name of Vian Kam, 
He said, sure, mother, ask him anything you want. I didn't know what he was saying. They were all speaking in tongues to me. And she said, ask him anything you want. So she smiled and took that beetle nut covered finger and in front of God and everybody, jammed it into my belly button. He says, Mr. How many people live inside of you? You're laughing. What would you have done? <laughs> I didn't rebuke her. I didn't grab her hand and pull it away from my happy place. <laughs> I contemplated my navel a few times after that, so I can tell you. It was a little embarrassing. I got back and we lit the lamps. We didn't have any electricity back in that day, but we lit the lamps. I did the devotions with the kids, and I'm sitting there trying to process through what happened that day. And the Spirit of the Lord told me, he said, Jeff, you know what grandmother saw in you? He saw the people from New Heights Church. She saw that which you don't know that you bring, that aura of those who are around you. She saw the power of the Holy Spirit. How much, how many, how great is that which lives inside of you? And I had to then just take a hold of myself and realize it wasn't about Jeff Dove and what I could accomplish and what I could write in a newsletter. I was bringing the hopes and the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit into the enemy's backyard because the Bible teaches us that everywhere I go, every step I take, the Spirit of God goes with me. Matthew 28, 19. Everywhere you go, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth, now called Siengkwang. <laughs> I am with you. I am with you. And we are making a difference. I learned that the fire Bible was a big help in that. And so I began to give my time more and more on the field to building fire Bibles. And before we ever even left field activity, we'd finished the Lao. We'd finished the, we was well on the way of finishing the Vietnamese. The, we finished the Cambodian, the, the Thai, the two dialects, three dialects, and the nation of Burma next door. God was beginning to move and we came there. And God put it on my heart to do the top 100 languages on the planet before I hung it up or got called to glory. And because of your offerings, because of your sacrifice over this last year and a half under Pastor Justin and Miss Liz's leadership, because of that, the Singhala edition of the Fire Bible for the people, for the hundreds of thousands, millions, yes, in the nation of Sri Lanka, that Fire Bible is finished. It's at the printers in, in South Vietnam, not South Vietnam, South Korea. It's on its way to Colombo. And on March the 30th of this coming year, if Pastor can get his schedule close to help us to go there, we are going to dedicate that Singhalese Bible because of what you did in this church. Give yourselves a hand. Amen. They are incredibly expensive, but they are incredibly effective in changing nations for Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you, how many people live inside of you? I'm not going to put my finger in your belly button. I realize where I'm at. I know the environment we live in is we're a litigious society. If I, if I touch your happy place, you'll probably sue me. Not going to do it, but I want you to see I want in your mind, in, 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 the, in, the, in the videotape of your mind, I want you to play that story out. And suppose it was grandma walking down the aisle and looking at you and asking that question. How many people do you represent that are coming or can come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know I'm talking to a church 
that has had history even just up until this last month or so, you have a history of sending and believing and sowing and reaping around this planet. I am not trying to produce guilt. I'm just trying to get you to wrap your minds around that this Kingdom Builders is not just a program. This is part of the personality and the nature of Almighty God himself. Who will go for us and whom shall we send? Who will be telling these people in their own language about my love? my compassion, my sacrifice that I made for them. Some of you here are businessmen or businesswomen, and you're asking yourself, well, Jeff, I, I always look at the ROI, the return on investment. Is this a good way to invest in the kingdom of God? I will submit to you today, if, if you're thinking along that line on the financial aspect, I will submit to you today that we are the most effective method. Not, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about our kingdom builders in this, in this church and in this movement. We are the most effective method for opening countries, training leaders, focusing on getting materials into their hands and releasing them back into the harvest of any movement that the world has ever seen to this date you get a huge return on investment. When Michelle and Matt and Mandy and I left the United States in December of 1992, we didn't know what we're doing. We didn't know if we were going to have an impact. I lied and I told you, I said, I'm going to go start five churches. I'm going to see a thousand people saved. I'm going to start a Bible school. I didn't know if I could do anything but just survive once I got there. But I told you that and you believed it. Now, how do you know God, God loves to take the foolish things of this world and confounds the wise? And when we left there and became an area director in 1998, there had been five Assembly of God churches planted in the nation of Laos. There had been well over 1,000 people saved for the glory of God through our team effort from teams outside and materials that we had had translated and printed. We had seen biblical pastoral training started. I, didn't, I can't take credit for any of it, but I was there because you gave and we went. 1991, there were zero churches of a Pentecostal persuasion in the nation of Laos. Only about six or seven that were sort of anti-Pentecostal, if you want to put it that way. Loved Jesus, but just didn't get the whole gospel. Today, there's over 20 churches meeting in that country to the glory of God. You did that. You did that. In the nation of Vietnam, yeah, give yourselves a hand. Go ahead. In the nation of Vietnam, you sent out missionaries. I know this church has supported missionaries to the nation of Vietnam. In 1991, we, we knew of between three to five churches for 95 million people was all that we had among the Assemblies of God. At last report, my, my friend, the general superintendent of the nation of Laos, has reported we are nearing 500 churches and house units in that country across that great land. God helps us. Everywhere we send them, this begins to happen. Cambodia, the same thing. Zero in 1991, hundreds of churches today. If we invest and we do what God has asked us to do, his promise is this. What you sow in tears, we will reap. We will reap if we faint not in joy. Now today, my, my mission is not to talk to you about who I am or what I do. My mission is to inspire you to do something awesome for God. Something that perhaps you've never done before. Some of you are brand new to this concept. You don't know a thing about what it means to give on a monthly basis 
to a local church, not just to keep the lights on, not just to have the air conditioner or the heater going, depending on when it is. It's not just for mechanics. It's set aside with purpose to give away, to give away. That's a weird thing in this world right now. Not a lot of people are doing that, but it works. I want to give you several examples that if you have that desire in your heart, because if you don't have that desire and I try to guilt you into it or if I try to shame you into doing something, it won't have the eternal results that it will have if you say, Lord, I want to do this. I want to be a part of this. I want to make a difference in the world. Let me just give you several examples that I've seen of how this works. I was in, uh, I was in a relationship with a man by the name of David because we're on the Internet. I'm not going to share his last name. but. With a, f- a friend of mine, David, he's about 12, 13 years older than I am, so obviously retired and, and finished with his career. But it was way back 100 years ago at the Evangel University, and they'd had a mission speaker in their chapel. And they said, if you're not called to be a pastor, then maybe you're called to be a missionary. And it freaked him out because he didn't, he didn't want to be a pastor, and he didn't think he wanted to be a missionary either. So he went to the altar in response to that call of God, and he's pouring his heart out. And he says, Lord, I don't want to be a missionary. <laughs> I'm not good enough to be a pastor. I don't want to be a missionary. What else can I do? And he says, I'm not calling you to be a missionary, and I'm not calling you to be a pastor. But I am calling you to be a resource that will fund both of those for churches and pastors and missionaries around the planet. Will you take that challenge? And at that altar at Evangel University, (laughs) he bowed his head and he said, Lord, if you let me, I will give you a million dollars to missions. Now you say, wow, Jeff, I thought we were going to talk about $10 a month or something here. You're talking a million dollars. Some of you may have that here and you may be called to do that. But David was a very unique individual. He bowed his head and said, Lord, if you'll use my life if you give acumen to my business ability, if you bless me, he prayed the prayer of Jabez in the Old Testament, if you bless me, I will bless your kingdom in return. It wasn't too much long after that that David gave his first million, and then he gave another million, and then he founded an organization to have other people, other businessmen like him to give their millions. I was at David's retirement party some eight or nine years ago, and we celebrated, we tallied it all up. They stopped counting at over $100 million that had come through that man's promise at that altar at Evangel University. How many people were in him? He had no idea but he made his commitment and let God worry about the results. I was telling that story. I was actually with Liz's parents doing a mission convention up in Orville, Ohio. How many of you have been to Orville before? It's a home of Smucker's Jams and Jelly and Rubbermaid, but I don't know how those two got together in the same town, but there you go. But Smucker's Jams and Jelly, you go into that town, breathe deep, and you'll gain five pounds. I mean, that's just the way it is. I was there and I was telling David's story to an adult Sunday school class on Sunday morning and and uh, uh, Brother Triplett and, and Don and Terry had the morning service, so I had Sunday school class that day. And I'm telling this great, great story of a great giver. And a little old lady came up to me after, this, after the Sunday school was over, and she said, Brother Dove, I, I can't be a great giver. And I said, well, and I almost did what some pastors do. They, they let you off the hook. I said, well, if you can't give, you can pray. And if you can't pray, you can at least stay out of the way. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. I, I was beginning to just say, ma'am, maybe there's another aspect of the kingdom that you can be a part of. I want you to know everyone here in this room can give something. Everyone can give something. I would posit it to you, everyone should give something. 100% participation is what will win the day. I started to respond to her, though, in a very weak faith format. 
But as most elderly people are wont to do, she just went right past my explanation and kept talking. She had something she wanted to say. She said, Brother Jeff, I don't have much money. My husband passed away. I'm living on the residuals of his Social Security. I'm in low-income housing. I don't have a car. I don't have a savings program. I live month to month on what I get from the government. She just really didn't have much. She said, but I have a want. I have a desire to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so she got my attention. I said, well, what'd you do? <laughs> I thought maybe, you know, she's saving pennies or or." popping coupons. No, this woman in an act of faith asked the apartment manager of the low-income housing. She said, may I put a sign out in the front yard? He said, what's the sign going to say? She said, my name is such and such, and I will wash your clothes, iron your clothes, and mend them when they're broken, when they're torn up. That's all it says. He said, no prices, no nothing. Just put it out there, and my apartment is such and such. And so they began to come. They come off the street. Everyone's looking for a good tailor nowadays. They're almost impossible to find. And they, they went to her and they says, well, ma'am, how much do you charge per shirt? I don't charge. Well, how much to mend? I don't, I don't charge to mend. Well, well, what are you doing this for? I'm doing this for missions at my church. They said, well, well, how much is this worth? This is how much is it worth to you? Knowing that every penny you give me will go to reaching the lost for Jesus Christ. <laughs> and they began, they'd come in and get five shirts ironed and drop a 20 on her. They'd come in and get the britches that had to be taken in or, like most of us, let out a little bit. <laughs> and uh, she got that done and they'd drop a check on her for $50 and $100. And, and she told me, she said, Brother Dove, it's so fun to give knowing that people are coming to Christ by what I'm doing. I don't have a business, but I can iron and I can pray and I can give. I walked away from that, and the pastor, a mutual friend of mine, of ours, Brother Terry Brown, came to me and says, what did, she, what did she want? What was she talking to you about? And I said, well, she was just telling me her story about how she wanted to give. He said, do you know that she's the single biggest monthly giver in our entire church? <laughs> she's got business guys that come and drop stuff off at her just so that they can give her that offering. It touched my heart. You see, it doesn't come down to just what you have. It comes down to what you want, what your desire is. Do I desire to do something bigger than I am right now for God? Am I willing to admit that there are multiple peoples inside of me and my gift will release them into the kingdom of God? Last story on giving. Little boy down in Wachula, Florida. His a friend of mine, he was a, uh, youth, a children's pastor. And uh, he decided he was not going to just take up coins from the kids every month, but he was going to challenge them to do a faith promise, what we call a faith promise, a little pledge form, if you will. And he said, so what I want you to do, children, is write your name on there and, and, and tell me how much you want to give by the end of the year, how much you would like to give for the missionaries. And he said, we're going to bow our heads and we're going to have a conversation with God. He didn't say we're going to pray and the anointing of it. They're kids. We're going to talk to Jesus and he'll help you know what to do. So he takes up those faith promises. He goes home. He eats his spaghetti dinner or roast or whatever your typical Sunday dinner is. And, and he propped his feet up. He's watching the Dolphins lose, right? That's his team. And they, in those days, they were losing all the time. And he's propped his legs up, and he's looking through these faith promises. And Susie's going to give five this year. And, and Johnny's going to give 12. And someone, oh, great faith. Bless him, Lord. $25 from this little kid, eight years old, we're going to give to missions. And he popped over the next one and said $11,000. He's just like, okay, here we go. He looked at it and it was his son. <laughs> I 
How many of you have been a parent? Anyone here been a parent? <laughs> you know that you, according to the law, you're responsible for what your kid does until they turn 18. That's a scary thing. His son made a promise with Almighty God for $11,000. So he calls him in and says, buddy, what's, what's going on here? What, what did you write down $11,000 for? He said, well, you told me to talk to Jesus and he would tell me something. I did. And that's what he told me. He said, well, how did he tell you $11,000? He said, I was just telling God I wanted to do something really cool. And he said, how old are you? I'm 11 years old. He said, do you trust me for $1,000 a year of your life? Now, some of us, that would scare you to death, wouldn't it? $1,000 for every year you've been alive. You do the math. And so his dad says, well, okay, I, I, will, I will admit, you talk to God. You heard from God. So how are you going to get $11,000? He said, Daddy, you told me to pray and listen to God and make a promise. And in faith, God would help me. That's not my responsibility. My responsibility is to do everything I can, and then God has to find it. You tracking with me? So his dad kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, how much are you, how are you and God going to pull this off? <laughs> he said, well, you only gave me one little plastic tub. Buddy barrels, what we call it, and the kids save coins in it every month, and they bring it to church, and it goes to Missionary Enterprise through your local church. He said, can you give me 50 of those little plastic bins, Daddy? He said, well, you can only fill one up at a time. What's the deal? He said, just get me a box of them, Dad. So he got it, and they came 48 to a box. That little shaver went out. He must have read something in Scripture. got a hold of him. He gave it to his grandparents, all four of them, on both sides of the family. Can you say amen? Grandparents are the font of all blessing. He began to speak faith into his grandparents. And then he gave it to the principal at school and his teachers at school. He gave it to a school bus driver. He gave it to the deacon board. Can you say amen? He gave it to them. And then this is what he told them. This is so that the missionaries can tell people about Jesus. I will come back every month to find out just how much you love Jesus. And collect your money. He had his own missionary protection racket going. <laughs> you can track with me to the end of the story, can't you? This little guy had the faith for 11000 because he had a conversation. God spoke to him, and he was willing to do what he could, knowing that others would join with him and do what they could. At the end of the year, they tracked his offering up to the front of the kids' room on a hand truck, a dolly, we used to call them, in a small 30-gallon steel garbage can, $17,000 in change <laughs> that little guy came up with in one year's time. Amen. Give him a hand. They did faith promises when they took that offering up for the next year. And how many of you know his pledge didn't stop at 11? <laughs> he said, surely God can do 11. He can do 17. I think he's hooked for life. I think he's hooked. This morning, I want you to have a conversation with God. You've all, you've all got this, this form here, Kingdom Builders Giving. I want you to take it out. Everyone has one. Just let me see it. If you could, please, just humor me. Okay, three of them have them so far. Okay, there are the rest of them are. Yeah, okay. We've got our Kingdom Builders Giving. And I know there are, if this is a normal church, there's going to be some of you that, that don't want to do this. They don't want to write anything down, and you don't have to. No one's going to make you do that. We do these forms because it solidifies our commitment to do our best to follow through with what God spoke to us on. No one will come after you. No one will come, as Pastor said, knocking on your door to find out where your commitment is at. This is a commitment between you and God. But there's something about us in the American culture, 
And some of us may have come here from other countries and you're, you're assimilating to this American culture. If we write something down, we tend to want to complete it. We tend to want to finish it. Kingdom Builders Giving, by God's help and my faith, as the Lord provides, I want to give this much every month or every week or on an annual basis. This is what I want to do. I submitted three examples to you of how God works through that process. And if you'll have that conversation with him, he'll speak to you. But let me ask you to not, and I'll close with this, don't pray a religious prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, thou son of God. You know, we get into King James, we start doing religious stuff. Just have a conversation with the Savior. You say, Lord, what, what do you think that I can do this year? What would you, what would you like? And if it's possible, Lord, this is what I'd like to do. You say, Jeff, aren't you going to ask us to give up a coffee a day? No. I serve a God who will let me drink a Starbucks and give to missions. Don't you? Some of you do. Hallelujah. I, I serve a God that owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the taters underneath, and he will bless me as I bless his kingdom. So I'm going to drink coffee and give money to missions. I'm not going to guilt you into because you have coffee or, or you, like a, you like to drive a nice car. God, thank God for people that drive nice cars. They can stop and help us when our, when our beaters break down on the side of the road. This is not about guilt, and it's not about comparison to what you have versus what other people have. This is about you conversing with God, saying, I want to look inside myself and say, how many people do I represent? in the kingdom of God. Some of you, it's going to be a stretch to do 20 a month or 30 a month. Some of you could easily do 1,000 a month or 10,000 a month. That potential is here in a room this size. As you have purposed in your heart and as you have set aside by yourself daily or weekly or monthly, let us bring our offerings to the Lord with joy and thanksgiving and expectation that the harvest will come in. Father, touch your people right now as they begin to have that conversation. I know, Lord, it's a dangerous prayer that we pray. If we ask you who gave your only begotten son, you bankrupted heaven with your greatest treasure and sent him to be humiliated and beaten and killed so that I could get into the kingdom. It's a dangerous prayer for me to pray to you, sir, and say, what would you have me to do? So, Father, as Peter prayed and he was in that boat on the lake of Galilee or the Sea of Gennesaret, Lord, if it's you walking on the impossible, call me to you. And together we'll walk on water and we'll do something awesome for you, Lord. The harvest is great. The workers are few. Sometimes all it comes down to is we just need the finance to get the workers into the harvest. So, Lord, bless your people. One more time. They've done this, some of them, hundreds of times. Others, this is a brand new experience. But Lord, bless them as they do this right now, as they commit to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.